Father in heaven, Lord, this is your time. Um, we thank you for the physical food and we pray that you would now bless us with the spiritual food. Father, we desire for your presence to be here in this room. Fill our hearts, fill our minds. We beg and plead, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our theme for this program, for the entirety of the program, is brokenness. And I don't know if there's many more characters in the Bible that have experienced brokenness quite like Joseph. Just a show of hands, you can keep your burrito in the other one. How many of you feel like you've experienced brokenness at some point in your life? Maybe not a complete shattering, but some brokenness nonetheless. All right, so I want to take you through just briefly some of the brokenness um, that Joseph suffered. And you tell me if you can relate. Joseph grew up in a household where his dad was married to both of his moms. Just bear that in mind. Joseph was brought up in a household where he was married to both of his moms. His biological mother and his mother uh, by marriage. In fact, his father's first wife. He grew up in a household where he had 10 older brothers. Anyone here have an older brother? Can you imagine 10, 10 of them? Help us, Lord. 10 older brothers. His mother died when he was relatively young. And then after her, after her death, listen to this, his oldest brother went and slept with his dad's concubine, who was best friends with his mom when she was alive. Not to mention the fact that his brothers came together and decided that the best thing to do to him and with him would be to take his life because essentially God spoke to him. Joseph experienced brokenness after the passage that we're about to look at today. He found himself in prison again because God spoke to him, albeit in a different way. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 39. I'm going to read from verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. It seems like, at least at the beginning stage, that Joseph made no real effort to share his faith. It seemed like he didn't really try and proactively reach out and say, Hey Potiphar, hey Potiphar's wife, and hey everyone that's in Potiphar's house. I just want to let you know that even though I'm a slave and even though I've, I've been delivered here, in actual fact, I am a Hebrew. In actual fact, I believe in a God that trounces and trumps all of your gods, just FYI. He doesn't really seem interested in sharing that, at least from the offset. But notice that Potiphar still sees God in Joseph. It seems like there's very little intentional evangelism, intentional outreach, but it says in verse 3, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. I call this presence evangelism. Reaching out to people just by literally being there by being there with the Lord, by praying and by trusting that all that you do, that everything that you put your hand to doing would be blessed by God. Presence evangelism. However, I do think that perhaps 
maybe we've taken it now to the extreme. Because sometimes I feel we sacrifice actual intentional verbal evangelism in the hope that our presence evangelism will be all that we need. It's kind of a cover for the fact that we, we say, yes, I'm Christian. Yes, I'm Adventist. Or yes, I know the Lord and I want people to know, but I'm kind of embarrassed and I'm a little bit shy and I don't want to be rejected. So if I just try really hard to live like a Christian, then maybe someone that's never even heard of Jesus will come up to me and say, hey, are you a follower of Jesus? And then I'll say, yeah, how did you know? And they'll be like, oh, I just saw in the way that you walked and in the way that you dressed and the way that you talked and the way that you combed your hair and tied your laces, I just seen Jesus in you. And you're like, wow, it works. Now, I don't know if many of you have had that experience. I haven't. People have come to me and said, hey, I really saw the way that God used you when you were preaching or when you were, when you were studying or when you were doing this or that. But I don't know anyone that's just come up to me. I, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe my wife can correct me. Um, although I don't think she will, will come up to me and say, hey, wow, I just really saw God in you today. Like I just saw it and now I want to give my life to the Lord. Now, fair enough, Potiphar hasn't taken that stance. But I think that Joseph is really the exception to this rule rather than the rule itself. Presence evangelism is great. Presence evangelism, being an active witness is awesome. And I bid you this, Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel goes to the world as a what? As a witness. As a witness, sure, people, people need to see it and not just hear it. But if they see it, if they just see it and they're not hearing anything, then they might just think that we're just really nice people. And I don't know about you, but nice people is kind of the in thing right now. You know, everyone just be nice. Everyone just be accepting. Everyone just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want to you jump in? Jump in. I'll, I'll try and treat you well and, and I'll make sure not to judge you. And, and if anything, just being nice and not sharing Christ intentionally sometimes look like, looks like the opposite of Christianity. Like you're just a moralist. It worked for Joseph though. It worked for Joseph. It says that in his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph, it says, found grace in his sight and he served him and made him overseer over his house and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him an overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, presence evangelism. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Now listen to this. And he left all that he had in whose hand? Anyone know? Any ideas? In Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught what he had save the bread which he did eat. Now listen, Potiphar was no doubt a very wealthy man. All right, he's doing well for himself. His wife, no doubt, also pretty wealthy. Everything that he owned was left in the hand of Joseph. He took no care on his own personal things that had to be done. He, he, he put no thought into his own finances or accounting. He, he, nothing. Everything that he had was trusted into this one man who, who was not from Egypt, who was, not, who was not bowing to the same God, who was not even intentionally reaching out, who was just someone. And here's the point that I think is key. He was just a man that had integrity. He was just a man that had integrity. And we don't really use that word anymore, right? Right? Integrity. It's almost like, what does it mean? 
It's, it's some sort of archaic word. Integrity. He's got integrity. Potiphar knew that his entire household could be left in the care of this man. It said he knew nothing that he had save the bread that he put in his mouth. Everything was left in the hand of Joseph. And then it gives us this tad little piece of information. And sometimes, sometimes we go through the scriptures and we think that all we're being presented with is information until we get to, until we get to the main thing, right? Until we, get to, until we get to the action set piece when everything kind of goes down and everyone loses their rag. But these, 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 these tidbits of information, if you will, are actually here to guide us so that we understand what is really taking place when the main thing comes along. Look how the verse ends. It says, And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Now again, goodly and well-favored aren't exactly words that we'd be using in our vocabulary today, but essentially this is what the Bible is saying. Joseph was a stud. Joseph was handsome. He was good-looking. Right? If you can imagine a man that's been working as a slave for a, for a long period of his life, he probably has a physique that would put you and I to shame. Maybe just me, but maybe you too. <laughs> Strong man, good looking, goodly. Ladies, if there's someone that you're interested in, drop the line. Hey, looking kind of goodly today. <laughs> I think you're, you're, you're well favored. <laughs> And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. He had the looks. And so watch the next verse now. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. Sure, sure, he was a man of integrity. Yes, the Lord was with him and Potiphar's house was being blessed. But there's no other reason that Potiphar's wife made her advances other than she saw and she wanted. There's no real rationale. She saw a man that just looked fine and she was like, yeah, I'll have some of that for myself, please. Thank you, now. Yeah, no, no, no waiting about. Now. Look at her language. Lie with me. Right? You see, you see normally, normally these conversations start with, you know, a little introduction you know, do you, want, do you want to get some, some, what's it called? Aroma? Is that what it's called? Aroma? You want to, get, you want to go out to Starbucks and get some aroma? <laughs> right? And, and then you get to know each other and, and, then, and then, of course, yeah, you get married and then, and then lie with me. But no, 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 no. Introduction phase. Lie with me. She won't play no games. No high. No, I'm Potiphar's wife now. I, yes, maybe they knew each other already, but I, I didn't see it. It seems like she's had, she's had her eye on this guy. I want him. And maybe the fact that now he has position. Maybe the fact that now he's not a slave anymore. Right? He's got status. Now he just looks all the bit more attractive. Maybe there is a little bit of the godliness in there. The good boy image that she kind of wants to taint. I don't know anyone like that, but maybe you do. Just wants to taint it a little bit. Looks too clean. Lie with me, she says. Now watch Joseph's response. But he refused. You get the feeling that these were two very efficient communicators. Essentially, the woman comes and says, let's have sex. And he says, no. 
Just, just, it's, it's a no from me. Thank you. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. Listen. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? And now here's the thing. Here's the thing. The simple refusal is great. The simple refusal is powerful. Hey, hey, let's, let's, let's go and do something. No. And, and if, you're, if you're Joseph's mom, or if you're the mother of a child that's in this situation where they're being tempted, and you know it's a strong temptation, and, and you're watching, you know, a fly on the wall, and you see them pushed into a corner, and then they, they come out fighting. No. Like, oh man, so proud. So proud. I trained him well. And this, but this is how we train them, no? This is how we've been trained. We've been trained to know, no. You've seen it. Children. How many, anyone here have children? Well, I'm not expecting a whole lot of hands, but some. When children learn the word no, game over. Game over. They say that life changes once they stop crawling and start walking. Mm -mm. Life changes when they start saying no. Because you can't walk faster than me. So if the child's walking away, putting him right back to where he came from. But no knows the struggle. Knows the hard thing. And, 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 and they've, they've, psychologists have analyzed that around about the age of nine months, children can understand no. They understand the prohibition. But once they get into the toddler age, they start to, they start to grasp the concept. And usually, usually the first no, it's like they've been winding it up for a while. They just, they're given a request and they're like, no! And it just explodes out of them and they, they feel all kind of pride, like, yeah, I just, I just told you. And of course, you know, um, things happen after that. And you learn that no isn't such a, uh, it's not as great a word as you thought. But we oftentimes, we bring up our children and we train our young people and we've been trained to know that if I'm in a situation where temptation comes and knocks on the door, that I need to be able to say no. no. Right? And so temptation comes. Hey, Dean, let's, let's do this. And then I'm there, I'm like, no, I've been trained. No. And then temptation runs away, right? No. Temptation <laughs> says no. Now you know this, come on. As Christians, as Adventists, right? Even as young people, there's certain things that we can't do, right? Certain things that we are either restricted from doing or prohibited from doing. Give me some of the common ones. Come speak to me. Drugs, right? We're not, we're not meant to do drugs. Lying. You can't lie. Sorry. You have to tell the truth at all times. Anything else? Let's, let's be real. I don't want the Ten Commandments. Let's be real. Eating no eating pork. Right? Someone gives you a sandwich, salami's in there. Do the right thing. <laughs> what else? Let me, let me just get some hands so I can see who's speaking. Anyone? What else can't you do? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're one waving at me? Oh, that's fine. Hi. Um, anyone else? What things can't you do as a Christian? Just drugs? Drugs and pork? <laughs> you guys, free reign to the rest of the world. Just avoid the drugs and the pork. Anyone else? Yeah. Sex. See, actually, you're allowed to do sex. All right, yes, yes. Sex outside of marriage. Um, anything else? 
Murder! Alright, went very deep right there. <laughs> Just taking lives. Not allowed to do that, guys. Anyone else? You're right, though. You're right. Anyone else? Prohibitions. Things that you're not allowed to do as Christians. Boom! Boom! Straight to the heart of the issue. Right? Because fun is like commandment 4.5. Right? Thou shalt not have fun or smile too hard on Sabbath unless saying the words happy Sabbath. Right? That's the only time really when we feel like, well, happy Sabbath, brother. And then as soon as you turn around, your face is like, hmm. because you're not having a happy Sabbath. You're having a terrible Sabbath, but it's not cool to greet terrible Sabbath. Right? You're just not going to make friends like that. We have these prohibitions, we have these things, and we're like, no, no, I'm not allowed to do this, I'm not allowed to go there, I'm not allowed to say this, I'm not allowed to eat, you know, the behind of the pig, I'm not allowed to do these things. And we, we're there, and we have the no. Right, we've got this big fat nope card, and every time temptation comes, I've got the nope card, boom, nope. And then temptation nopes you back, and then you're like, I only had one. <laughs> Because we don't, we haven't really trained ourselves. And here's the thing, here's the thing. And this is the whole point of this message. How long do I have? 10 minutes. Good. Okay. So, so listen, here, here's the whole point of the message. No isn't enough. No is not enough. No does not cut it. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I've been in the midst of temptation... Right? When the devil has come and knocked on my door, in fact, when the devil has come and just barged through my door, I've tried a few no's. I, I, I've thought some really strong no's, and then I've fallen straight into the mess anyways. No just didn't do it for me. I, now, now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't an ignorance thing. I knew that I shouldn't do it. Right? And, and the Bible verses flashed through my mind and the Holy Spirit was there convicting me saying, Dean, this isn't right. Don't go forward. Don't go forward. But here's the thing. Here's what I've learned. Right? If there's no principle behind the no, then the no is just a visage. The no is just a mask. It's, it's, it's just what we're putting up to say that we're not going to do it even though deep down we really want to. It's like, I want to, but I can't. I would if I could, but I can't. We bring up our young people. I've been brought up. You've probably been brought up to know that when the time comes to say no, but we don't know the why. We don't know the why. And I'm not talking about the pathetic kindergarten why. Why can't, you, why can't I do it, mommy? Because it's wrong. Oh, okay. I won't do it then. You reach a certain level of maturity where you need to start questioning the things that you've just been taught were wrong, right? Because if the principle hasn't really been embedded, and it's not just about knowing the why, it's about actually embracing the why. If your no has no why, it's fake. It's a paper door. It's a paper door. Joseph had a why. He refused, yes, but he had a why. His why is simple. It's this, listen. 
Behold, my master knows not what is in this house and he's given me everything. There's none greater in this house than I. Neither has he kept anything from you, from me except you because you're his wife. And then he says, how can I do this great wickedness? So on a very moral level, he understands that committing fornication with his boss's wife is just wrong. But then he, then he goes deeper. He takes it past just mere morality and says, and do this sin against my God. Now there's the reason why. That's the thing that's going to keep him. It's not just a no. It's not just knowing that it's wrong. Because if it was just about knowing that it's wrong, then we'd all be just Enoching our way out of here. The no doesn't cut it. There needs to be a solid principle that you're choosing to live out behind that no. Because here's the thing. It's going to come back. And it's going to come back and back and back every time. She didn't stop. Yeah, maybe she disappeared for a while, verse 10. And it came to pass, mercy, as she spake to Joseph day by day. Right, they weren't talking about weather. As she spoke to him day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie with her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. He's doing the work that God gave him, but Satan still found a way in. And there was none of the men of the house there within. No backup. Right? No wingmen there to protect him and get him out of trouble. No get out of jail free card. He's stuck in the room by himself with a woman that desperately wants to lie with him. And she caught him by his garment. Now you tell me if a man like this still exists today. You tell me. You tell me hottest woman in Egypt. Right? She's coming day after day after day after day. And then eventually she orchestrates it so that no one else is there. Listen, no one's going to know. No one's going to know. What happens in Potiphar's house stays in Potiphar's house. <laughs> it's not going to get out. Who are you then? Because this is what I've learned. Your character is who you are when you're alone. It's not who you are when you're here. This is easy stuff. Preaching to the choir, easy stuff. It's not about here. It's not even about church. It's not about school. It's not even about when you're around your family and your friends. Who are you when it's just you, God, and Satan? Who are you then? Joseph was the same guy at work as he was when he was in the corner. Now, Joseph's not no superhero. He's a man. With man things. Are you with me? And the woman comes and pushes herself up against him, grabs him by the clothes, right? It was probably singular. Grabbed him by the clothes. Right? They weren't layering up back then, it's Egypt, guys. Look at, look at what he does. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled. Here's what happens when you actually take the principle and live it out. For Joseph, he would rather run out of that room naked. He would rather be seen sprinting, right? Sprinting like some sort of Olympian. Just sprinting through the palace or whatever, the hell, whatever they lived in. Just, just running right through there, naked. Everyone's watching. Everyone's looking, isn't, isn't that? Isn't that guy a Christian? 
You're running around the house naked? He'd rather endure that shame. Listen, listen. He'd rather endure that shame. He'd rather everyone's perception of him change than God's perception of him change. He'd rather embrace all of that. He'd rather walk into school the next day and everyone's like, dude, you're a meme. You're on WhatsApp everywhere. 3,000 shares on Facebook. There's, there's Joseph, naked, running around. He'd rather endure that than have to go home that night and fall on his knees and say, Lord, I should have listened. I should have listened. I want to read you something that I read. Blew my mind. I saw evil angels contending for souls and angels of God resisting them. The conflict was severe. Evil angels were crowding around them, corrupting the atmosphere with their poisonous influence and stupefying their sensibilities. Holy angels were anxiously watching these souls and were waiting. They were what? They were waiting to drive back Satan's host. But it is not the work of good angels to control the minds and the will of the individual. If they yield to the enemy and make no effort to resist him, then the angels of God can do little more than hold in check the host of Satan that they should not destroy until further light is given to those in peril, to move them to arouse and look to heaven for help. Listen, Jesus will not commission holy angels to extricate those who make no effort to help themselves. If Satan, catches, catch this, catch this. If Satan sees he's in danger of losing one soul, how many? One soul, he will exert himself to the utmost to keep that one. And when the individual is aroused to his danger and with distress and fervor looks to Jesus for strength, catch this, Satan fears that he shall lose a captive. Now watch. And he calls a reinforcement of his angels to hedge in the poor soul and form a wall of darkness around him that heaven's light may not reach him. Anyone ever experienced anything like this? But if the one in danger perseveres, and in helplessness and weakness, cast himself upon the merits of the blood of Christ. Jesus listens to the earnest prayer of faith, and I love this part, and sends a reinforcement of those angels which excel in strength to deliver him. Satan cannot endure to have his powerful rival appealed to, for he fears and trembles before Christ's strength and majesty. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. And when angels, all-powerful, clothed with the armory of heaven, come to the help of the fainting, pursued soul, Satan and his host fall back, well knowing that their battle is lost. It's a battle. For you and for me, it's a battle for our very souls. And it's not just about having that paper mache Why? It's about bringing that principle and asking the Lord to write it, to literally write it on your heart. Lord, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? I don't want to do this. I don't want to destroy the relationship that we've been working so many years to build. Help me to stay faithful. Help me to stay faithful. And when she comes and when she's holding me by the clothes and when she's trying to just rip them off and just get with me any which way she can, Lord, give me the strength to run. To run for my life because that's what's at stake. Every time Satan comes knocking, your life is on the line. Because you don't know if you're getting back up from that one. You don't know if this is going to be the final blow.
Joseph resisted day after day after day. He's just a man. He's just a man. There's angels, heavenly angels waiting in check just to see that you want this. Just to see that you actually have the desire to walk with Christ. Maybe you can't walk yet. Maybe you keep stumbling. But the desire alone commissions heaven to your side. Choose to walk with Him. Choose to persevere through those temptations, through those trials and through those difficulties, through those looks that you get when you know what they're thinking. Heaven is on your side. Heaven is fighting for you and I even now. Will you fight back? Will you fight back? Will you take up your sword and shield and will you fight back? In the armor of God with the strength of the Holy Spirit behind you. Will you stand toe to toe with the enemy and say, this far and no further. This wickedness. Not for me. There's no way I'm doing this against my God. Father in heaven. Help us, Lord, to have the integrity that this man had. Help us to walk faithfully, Lord, in your word. And Father, when temptation comes, Father, when it knocks and when it breaks, when it barges its way in, Father, give us this, this perseverance that we don't have in ourselves. Help us to resist, to claim your promises, Lord. To remember all the things that you've done for us in our life. To remember the pits from which you went to save us. Father, help us, especially through this restoration program, to stand for you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.